welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. So good to start off the week in church. Hopefully we started off the week this morning in prayer, not didn't do Wordle and connections before the prayer and afterwards. Who else does Wordle in this place? Oh, a, few, a few people. Everyone's like, what on earth is he? Anyway, um, yeah, just want to say welcome to everyone. My name's Simon. Obviously, I've met Christy and, and we love leading this incredible group of people. Um, we're a church Fano, and we love every one of you. And um, it's awesome to be in the house of the Lord, like I said, starting uh, the week here. So what has been happening the last couple of weeks We've been talking about sects, S-E-C-T-S, um, and looking at uh, the groups or the subgroups or the offshoots of um, people that followed God in Jesus' day, the ones that were pulling and pushing and the pressure um, and the extreme fringes of faith, and how a few thousand years later now in 2023, we can have the same pressures on us, we can have the same traps, we can go off course the same way. The spirits that were at work um, trying to deceive people and distort their, their faith and truth in Jesus' day are still very much alive today. And if we're not careful, it is so easy to, to fall into these, uh, these pits and the pitfalls and traps and get off course. So that's what I've been talking about. Um, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, for context, please um, look online or on YouTube. Just search us. You'll find the last two. Um, if you've got the Bible app, our notes are there with links to the other videos as well. So uh, back in Jesus' day, there were four sects. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots. And the Essenes, the Pharisees, they were very, if there was one word I could describe them, it was legalistic. They were very, very religious. They were a religious sect. Then last week we looked at the Sadducees, and they were pretty much the exact opposite of the Pharisees. Uh, they were very, very liberal. They were a socio-religious sect. They mixed social activism with and culture with their faith. And so I talked about that last week and today to finish up i'm going to be looking at the zealots and the essenes and then bring it all together by looking at um, how christianity or why christianity prevailed and none of these other sects sects did so without any further ado let's carry on number three the zealots the zealots were a political religious sect uh, they were religious activists devoted to politics. So the Pharisees, they were a religious sect. The Sadducees were a socio-religious sect. And the Zealots were a political religious sect. Very strong in activism. And if there was one word to describe the Zealots in Jesus' day, it was fanatic or fanatical. So what is a fanatic? A person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, especially for a religious or political cause. So it's like passionate is great, but fanatical is extreme and excessive. The Zealots' goal was to overthrow the Roman government and to remove Greek culture from Israel. They believed that their resistance to Roman rule was divinely ordained, and they saw themselves as defenders of Jewish faith and tradition. They believed that they were anointed to overthrow the godless government at all costs. So the Pharisees, they were very religious and they worked around the government of the time and the culture of the time. Uh, they, they tried to make it work. The Sadducees, they didn't work around the culture. They totally embraced 
the culture and the government. The Essenes, and we're going to be talking about them soon, they completely avoided the government and, and Greek culture. Uh, and the Zealots, they just wanted to destroy the government and Greek culture. And we know that Simon the Zealot, a disciple of Jesus, um, he obviously had a, a zealot background. He had come from the zealot sect and become a follower of Jesus. What is interesting is, so, is a lot of scholars believe that Judas Iscariot may also have been involved in the zealots because of his last name. Um, Iscariot uh, is very close to the Greek Sicari, which means a dagger man or an assassin. Um, in Spanish, it's Sicario is the same thing. So Judas Iscariot, very, very close um, in, in meaning and word, and we know that people took on uh, last names, usually described them. So it was interesting, perhaps, that Judas may have been, in, before he had met Jesus, an assassin. Just throw that out there for those that like a little bit of interesting history. So like I've done for the last uh, couple of weeks, looking at the characteristics or the qualities of the zealots in Jesus' day, um, what their uh, emphases were and, and what their character were, and then bringing it now to 2023 to see if um, we can be tempted to fall into these same pits, that perhaps these are the same things around today, that the characteristics of a zealot in Jesus' day are the same characteristics as a zealot in 2003, although we may not call ourselves that. So number one, a zealot believes that God's kingdom will be established through politics. It's interesting timing, isn't it? Didn't sort of make it. It's just the Holy Spirit, maybe. No. The zealot believes, or maybe, the kingdom, that God's kingdom will be established through politics. They believe that was the only way that God's kingdom and the reign of the Messiah would be ushered in by overthrowing the government of the day. Now, if that was true, if politics and governments were the, were the way to do that, then Jesus would have come, as he did a few thousand years ago, and he would have formed a political party. He never did. He came not as politician, but as savior, because mankind doesn't need another politician. Mankind needs a savior. And Jesus came to save our souls and to save us from our sins. So with that, um, I'm just going to throw out a little bit of election wisdom um, for what it's worth. And just a bit of a caveat, I still don't know who I'm going to vote for yet. Um, I'm not stressed out about that decision. I know it's all good, but I still haven't come to a decision yet. But just some do's and don'ts. Do your homework. Look at the track record of the parties. Look at what they stand for. Ask trusted people that have been around a while for their professional opinion. Um, the value of your vote flies that we've got it all good. So please do your homework. Don't. Don't bow down to pressure by people to vote a certain way. The last election, someone came up to me and said, Simon, you're not a real Christian unless you vote for this specific party. Like, True. Oh, well, I didn't vote for that party. <laughs> so don't be pressured either way uh, by people. Do ask the Holy Spirit to guide your decision. Like this is a, a like we've got the opportunity to vote and, and God God is sovereign, but he invites us to be co-partners with him and seeing his plans and purposes fulfilled. So he invites us to be a part of this. So please, what we all should be doing as followers of Jesus is with this decision, actually pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit into that decision. Ask him to guide you and to give you wisdom. Don't vote based on personal short-term benefits to you. 
It's like, oh, I'm going to get this much more money this week. Or um, what's that drug that's really good for flu? A couple. Don't worry, I won't even go there. Pseudoephedrine. I'm going to vote for that party because they're going to bring back that really cool <laughs> flu drug. No, don't do that. Don't vote based on personal short-term benefits for you. And lastly, do vote. At the end of the day, do vote. It's Simon's little homily for how to do election well in 2023. Number two, a zealot's passion for God drowns out godly character. So a zealot so, so passionate and zealous about God that they also forget this thing called godly character. And they use passion and their zeal to justify doing things that are not Right, so the zealots, they were sick of, in a political way, they were sick of the Roman government and their godless policies. Spiritually, they were sick of being under a pagan um, worldview and culture that promoted godless education. Financially, they were sick of giving taxes to a godless government. But in their passion for God and righteousness, they became violent and ended up killing the Roman hierarchy, um, not just condoning assassination, but encouraging assassination, which is murder of people in their zeal for God. They ended up acting against God's ways. And we've done the same way, maybe not as far as assassination, but definitely character assassination. Um, May I remind us all of the COVID time that we all want to forget a couple of years back? And in people's passion for righteousness and to do the right thing, man, there are a lot of Christians that definitely treated other Christians very badly and said very hurtful things. And maybe not real true life assassination, but definitely character assassination and said things that weren't good. And they were mean and they were nasty and they weren't being Christ-like. So we've got to be careful that we don't have the zealot Spirit that we believe so much for righteousness, and we do, but that then drowns our godly character, and we aren't being Christ-like to another. So number one, a zealot believes that God's kingdom will be established through politics. Number two, a zealot's passion for God drowns out godly character. With that politics, by the way, if God is calling you into politics, if that is your call, do it with all of your heart. I'm not saying let's just forget about politics altogether. It's all about influence. Two things to make us incredibly influential, or first, or three things, Holy Spirit's first one, but our character is incredibly important and credibility. Being a credible person, being a trusted person, being a trustworthy person over time and having good godly character. Number three, a zealot's high emotional intensity acts as a wall between God and people instead of a bridge to him. So a zealot and their righteous anger and their sense of moral superiority, they can just become so extremely emotional about what they believe in and trying to ram it down people's throats and just put people off. I've been there. And uh, back in Bible college, I was so zealous without knowledge um, that I just wanted to ring up all my old schoolmates and tell them about Jesus. And um, who remembers the House Bells VHS video, the, the dangers of rock music? Just like out of the blue, like haven't seen this guy for years. I want to come and see you like right now. It's really important. Rock up to his flat. He's like, you got to watch this now. And my pupils are dilated and they're like, there's a glazed expression. And it's like, and that's not going to probably bring him to Jesus. <laughs> probably going, that dude's crazy. So in our passion and our zeal, we, we just got to be careful that we don't become a wall. Uh, between God and people. Romans 10 verse 1 to 3, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, 
but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, right standing with God. Again, let me talk about influence. It's credibility and character. You're going to just be careful of everything that will erode your credibility and erode your character. So that's the zealots. I'm trying to go through these last two pretty quickly uh, because I want to get to the end, which is talking all about Jesus. The Essenes, which is something that we probably don't even really realize was a sect in Jesus' time. So the Pharisees, they were a religious sect. The Sadducees were a socio-religious sect. The Zealots were a political religious sect. And the Essenes were an apocalyptic religious sect. And if I could describe the Essenes in one word, it's abandonment. They just wanted to abandon everyone else that didn't believe like them and just go and live next to the Dead Sea and be their own community. They aren't mentioned in the New Testament because they were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> they had just taken off. They weren't interested in re- interacting with society anymore. Like the Sadducees and the Zealots, they were all around in Jesus' time and, and trying to influence people. There's, the scenes, they just left the building. And this is what they thought. The whole world is evil. It's going to end soon. We, we, we need to abandon it, and we need to wait for the Messiah to come. So the Essenes uh, didn't embrace culture like the Sadducees. They didn't put up with culture like the Pharisees. They didn't seek to overthrow culture like the Zealots. They completely removed themselves from the culture. And in Jesus' time, there were a few thousand of these people that called themselves the Essenes, and they lived in communities uh, around the Dead Sea. Now, Christy and I have been there. We've actually seen the Dead Sea Scrolls, a portion of it, um, close up because there are a lot of them. Um, we, we drove around the Dead Sea, and, and the, the tour, tour guide pointed like the, the caves that you could see. That's where the Essenes live. So my imagination and, and where we've been and what we've experienced really backs us up and makes it really exciting. So Essenes... Back in the day, in Jesus' day, and how they relate to us today, characteristics number one. And Essenes' exclusivity creates an isolated, unbalanced, unhealthy community. And Essenes' exclusivity creates an isolated, unbalanced, unhealthy community. And just reading from worldhistory.org, which is like an encyclopedia online. The era they lived in, the Essenes, was considered so thoroughly evil, only a violent interaction by God could restore it. Humanity was understood to consist of two opposing camps, the sons of darkness and the Essenes, the sons of light. Given the correct state of the current state of evil, they thought the righteous should set themselves apart, avoiding interaction with all unbelievers. They also developed a process known as the demonization of others who did not agree with them. So the Essenes withdrew from a religious or the religious establishment and all of the culture of the time, seeing it as corrupt, even the religious establishments. They lived on the fringes of society to maintain their own religious purity and devotion. The Essenes did community excellently, incredibly well, and that's like a big positive for the Essenes. They knew how to do community, but their isolated community and their exclusivity. Uh, made them completely um, unbalanced and it bred un- like error and unbalance and, and heresy. And I think well, they don't understand. We now understand it. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for his followers, he prayed for us. And he said, I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world. And that's where we get that saying, 
in this world, but not of this world. Like Jesus is not telling us to escape from this broken and dark culture and society and to become exclusive and just have a nice community and love each other by ourselves. He's actually called us and commanded us to go into this broken society and to show them and to demonstrate to them his love in action. It's not that we embrace culture uh, like the Sadducees do. We're involved in culture and relevant to culture, but we, we we don't embrace their values, but at the same time, we don't evacuate and extrigate. Is that the word? All these big words, I don't even know what they mean. Sort of sounds right, make up the word as I go along. Ourselves from culture, move away from culture. And it seems exclusivity. And like the classic example was Gloria Vale. Like it's, I, I believe, I assume it, it started uh, nobly with people having a passion for God and they understood, but then they've just become more exclusive and more exclusive. And, and many sects are like that today. They believe they're the only way. Um, and I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about Christian cults. So we just got to be so careful. Number two, and the scene is hyper-spiritual and prone to doctrinal error. Like a super spiritual, hyper spiritual person who, like, you can't hold a normal conversation with them. Uh, and, and somewhere along the line, they're going to be talking about angels and demons. It's just where they are, and they're going to be praying, and, and all that's good, but they're just, you just can't relate to them, and you can't be normal with them. And if anything, we need to be able to relate to people and culture, but sometimes people are so hyper spiritual that they lose that relevance, even being able to talk with their neighbors. And the Essenes were like that. They, and for example, they rejected sex for pleasure only for procreation. So none of their marriages would have been very fun at all. So they rejected <laughs> sex for pleasure only for procreation because they thought that that was holiness. They would only wear white because white symbolized purity. They wouldn't wear any other forms of clothing or color because they saw that was bad and demonic and they only wore white because that was the color of purity. They were obsessed with angels and demons and the supernatural. Again, from worldhistory.com, it says, Essene literature included seers who had out-of-body experiences of being taken on tours of heaven where they were shown the secrets of the final days, usually by angels. Uh, A few years back, there was a, a big, I don't know, everyone got real passionate about this thing called mystic Christianity. And it was all about encounters with heaven and taking, being taken on flights with angels and Unfortunately, many of those people that grabbed a hold of that, I don't know if they're following God anymore or they're walking with God. When you get hyper-spiritual without the, the foundation of the Word of God and balance people around you, it is so easy to get into error. Colossians 2 verse 18 and 19 says, Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they, live, they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. They are not connected to Christ the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with it, its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. It's all about Jesus, but so many people get off balance. And that's why I love in Renew Church, we value the Word of God and we value the presence of God together. It is the Word of God. It is something that does not change and does not lie with moving currents and culture. We can stand upon it. It is truth. But we also value the presence and the power of of God. It's, it's, it's both of those things. And we need to keep those things so important. I love the power of God. Like I said a couple of weeks ago at the conference, having this 
Probably one of the most supernatural encounters with God I have ever had in my life. It was mind-blowing. And because there was a culture where people valued the presence of God and made space for the Holy Spirit, I didn't think there was much outward manifestation happening with me. Maybe my eyes were leaking a little bit, but man, my life changed in an area. And that was such, so I love the presence and power of God. What can happen though, if we become quite exclusive, is we think that the power of God only works in this certain way. And you've got to fall over backwards, very dignified like, only if there's a catcher behind you, because that's what people do if you're really moved by the power of God. Like I'm all for falling over in the power of God, but sometimes it can be pretty messy. It's not a certain way, or people think that waving flags is the only way I can express my freedom in God. And some of that things, like I love the Holy Spirit, but sometimes people just make the Holy Spirit a lot weirder than he is, if I can say that without offending everyone. Like, not everything is a demonic attack. Like, that, that flat tire you got this week, it's probably not a demon. It's probably the fact that six months ago with Warren of Fitness, you were told that your tire was bald and you actually haven't got a new tire. So let's not blame everything on these crazy things. Some, and I, it's, it's very real. I, I've had demons speak to me and it's been quite a crazy experience. But sometimes we can just be super spiritual if you guys, can you guys get my heart with that? Yes. I don't think I'm thinking, oh man, Simon, who are you offending now? It's like, it's like all this stuff's coming out of my mouth. It's like, oh man, why do I just say that? Number three, moving right along. And the scene's Christian worldview is grounded in fear, not faith. They were very apocalyptic, which means that they love talking about the end times and the doom and gloom and being ready for the world to blow up. Again, from worldhistory.org. Good part of research in my uh, sermon this week came from that. As part of the Essene theology and practice, they separated themselves from the majority of Jews so to await God's final intervention. The Dead Sea Scrolls highlighted the Essenes' belief in visions of impending judgment and a forthcoming cataclysmic end of the world. So they were, they were obsessed with the end of the world. And like I'm thinking, when we've been talking about the Essenes, it's a separation, it's the exclusivity. We can think of like, well, Gloria Vale is obviously sort of like that. But there's, I think, also another aspect to this that perhaps more of us here are guilty of, because I'm not sure if any of us um, are have been in Gloria Vale or a part of it, probably not, but Essenes, they were on the fringe of society. They, they were on the fringe of, of Judaism. They were sort of not involved in true community. They had made their own communities on the fringe. So it's not too much of a stretch to say that if there was a modern day equivalent of the Essenes, perhaps they could be seen as the off the grid doomsday preppers, the conspiracy therap therapists, the theorists. <laughs> independent Christians, they create their own exclusive communities, they are prolific users of the Telegram app, they have no trust in authority unless it comes from them. Just dropping a whole lot of truth bombs out there. And as Christians... We understand that the end of the world is coming, but I want to say something very clearly. Back in Malachi 4, 5, it talks about the end of the world, and it describes the end of the world very specifically. The great and the terrible day of the Lord. It calls the end of days, the end of the world, something very specific, the great and terrible or terrifying day of the Lord. Now, the early church starts, we know Jesus comes, um, dies, rises again, 
birthed the early church. In Acts 20, verse 20, uh, it's very similar. They're talking about the end of the world, but they don't use the phrase, the great and terrible day of the Lord. They change it differently, and now it says, the great and glorious day of the Lord. Goes from the great and terrifying day of the Lord Now for Christians, it is not terrifying for us. It's glorious. It's the great and glorious day of the Lord. It's going to be terrifying for those that aren't followers of Jesus. But for us, there should be no fear in the end times. Uh, A few years back, Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door. They don't come around much these days when I'm home anyway. (laughs) And straight away, sir, aren't you afraid of the end of the world? And honestly, I just looked at them and said, nah, I'm not. And this is why. And they just really couldn't give an answer because I think it highlights something with our, our Christianity and our relationship with God, the foundation in which everything is built on. We know that our foundation is built on Christ. But is our outlook on life, our true belief, is it based in fear or faith? When we talk about the end of the world, if it is grounded in fear, we are going to be freaking out. It's going to change the way. We're going to hear it in our conversation. You heard it through the COVID, like in people's conversations through COVID. And instead of being faithful, it was fearful. And man, I get peeved off with that. Because we don't have to succumb to fear. We don't have to be fearful. No matter what happens in this world, we are called to be filled with faith. The end times is the great and glorious day of the Lord, not the great and terrible day of the Lord for us. If if we understand that, it's going to change everything about us. It will impact the way we pray. It will impact the way we behave. It will impact the way we live. It will impact how we respond, where our thoughts go. We don't have to succumb to fear. So lastly, let's wrap all this up and look at Christianity. In a world with all this pushing and pulling and all these different religious sects, and there was legalism and there was liberalism and there was escapism and there was fanaticism, and there was the, the, the political spirit, which I think it's called the Mal- Malkavanianism or something. It starts with M anyway, and it sort of sounds like that. All of these isms and pressure and sects, and Christianity emerges, and it completely changes the world. What set Christianity apart from, from all of these other sects? And why, when all of these things died out, the spirit's not dead, but they definitely died out as groups, how come Christianity has prevailed and literally has changed the world? It's still so powerful and so incredible because it's truth 2,000 so years later. For this answer, I, I sought out the wisdom of ChatGBT. Man, that's an incredible software, isn't it? Just grabs all from all over the internet, so you can't quite trust it, but I think... Um, well, this one, maybe a Christian was witnessing to ChatGBT because they got it pretty good. And I just typed in, what is Christianity? <laughs> Christianity is a monotheistic religion centered on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ as presented in the New Testament of the Bible. It emphasizes belief in the Holy Trinity, including God the Father, Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior, and the Holy Spirit. Christians believe in salvation through faith in Jesus with an emphasis on love, forgiveness, and living in accordance with biblical principles. Isn't that pretty awesome? I couldn't have said it better myself. So what was it about Christianity that, and this is it, this is coming like 
it's fun to talk about these things, but like we can sort of get sick a little bit about talking about the negative. And I want to talk about Christianity. What was it about Christianity? Number one, the word over the world. The word over the world. The world, the word, sorry, judges the world, not the world judging the word. So we're living in a topsy-turvy time where more than any other time in my lifetime, we're seeing people and they're believing that the popular um, narration of the day and the commentary and they're saying, well, the Bible didn't mean that or the Bible didn't say that or the Bible was edited to say that or we can't believe in that part of the Bible anymore. And the world and world's thoughts and culture and the ways of the world is shadowing or overshadowing the word. It is absolutely the other way around with Christianity. It's not the world over the word. It is the word over the world. The word of God does not change. And, and as things get more crazier, the truth in the word of God is probably going to become a lot more offensive to some people. And people are going to be a lot more angry at it. But we've got to understand the word does not change. And we, we stand upon the word of God. Number two, Christ is over your cause. Like I said last week, it's great to have causes. But our causes must be superseded by Jesus. Our good works must be overshadowed by good news. Christ is over your cause, not your cause over Christ. The word over the world, Christ is over your cause. Number three, relationship over religion. Now, a lot of people say, well, Christianity isn't a religion. And I'm saying, well, yeah, it is really. Because religion's all about worshiping a higher power. And so Christianity, let's like get this straight this morning. It is a religion. Christianity is a religion. When people say, it's not a religion, it's a, it's a relationship. They've got it half right. Christianity is a religion, but it's relationship over religion. If you have religion without relationship with God, it's just empty. It's just works. It just becomes legalism and rules and laws. So religion, Christian religion, like, I don't know, some people could probably practice the ways of Christianity and not have a relationship with God, but it will never bring you freedom and it will never bring you salvation. It is relationship with Jesus over religion. And the coolest thing is we get to have this amazing relationship with God. He wants to spend time with us. He loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. It's the word over the world, Christ over your cause, relationship over religion, surrender over self, number four. It's surrender over self. You know how we're called to follow Jesus? I think some of us, we want Jesus to follow us. So I want to go this way, Jesus, so you can follow me. Um, I'm not following you because that, I, I, I want to be the, the boss of my life. I want to make my own decisions. It doesn't work that way. It's surrender over self. And lastly, mission over my life goals. Word over the world, Christ over your cause, relationship over religion, surrender over self, and God's mission, the great commission over my life goals. It is great to have life goals. But we've got to understand we've been brought with a price and God has sent us into this world to make disciples, to be part of the disciple-making process. And that's our cause. That's our great purpose. So that was what Christianity made it so unique. The word over the world, Christ is over your cause, relationship over religion, surrender over self, mission over my life goals. And what was the result? 
You know how the Pharisees, they were great at contending and defending the word of God? The church contended better than the Pharisees. They were able to judge scripture and defend scripture and proclaim scripture better than the Pharisees. You know how the Sadducees, they love contextualizing and, and making it relevant so much so that they completely lost all, all uh, understanding of the truth and they got into so much error. The church contextualized better than the Sadducees. They were able to engage with culture and be so relevant to culture at the same time while not being compromising. Essenes, I talked about them, they did community so much better than everyone else, but the church did community better than the Essenes. They were able to, to develop close-knit community, loving groups of faith-filled believers without having to be exclusive of everyone else. And lastly, the zealots, they wanted to bring change through politici polit polit politicians, politics. The church, Christianity, brought change better than the zealots because the church proclaimed Jesus Christ who changed from the inside out. Isn't that awesome? I've been so excited to share that. And Christianity changed the world. People say, Christianity is so narrow-minded. Well, when you think about it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Like You don't call truth narrow-minded. Truth is truth. So in conclusion, if I can have the band up, we're going to finish this series by singing an awesome worship song as a response to this. You know how I've, I've shared several times and did, uh, have done series about what Jesus said, the last words he said, the last directive he, he gave before he ascended to the Father, go and make disciples. And I'm with you always, teaching them to obey all my commands. So I've talked about that, the last words. I said, this is really important, the last directive that Jesus gave, because that's our marching orders. I never really thought, what were the first directives that Jesus gave? Like when he started his ministry, what were the first few things that he said? Because how he started and what he said at the start surely must be as important as what he said at the end. So I started reading just one gospel, Matthew. And, and Jesus, before he starts his ministry, he goes out into the desert for 40 days and he comes back and it says he starts his public ministry. What is the first directive he gives? Matthew 4 verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the first directive Jesus gave in, in the gospel of Matthew. Repent, which means turn around, or turn away from your sinful ways and your sinful beliefs, and turn to me. That's what he said. Isn't that interesting? The second thing he gave, if you just go down a few verses, Matthew 4.19, he finds some guys, um, and he says to them, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. That men there is anthropoi, which means men and women. So his first directive, turn away from your sinful life and sinful behavior. Like that's going to wreck you. That is sin. Turn to me. That's what he said. First and second is follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Um, literally, it can be translated, come here. So you are there. Now come here. Come with me again. It, it implies a change of direction. And relationship. Like you can't follow someone unless you're close with them. And if it's, it's a, you're walking, you're moving, you've got to be with them. It's, it's a journey, it's a living thing, it's relationship. Follow me. Not follow yourself, but with me tagging behind. It's follow me. Jesus, Lordship of Jesus in our life. Fishes of men gives us a purpose and something to live for. And then lastly, in Matthew 4, verse 23, jumping down another couple of verses, the three first things that Jesus 
said or proclaimed. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So that's pretty broad. That's what he did. We don't know exactly the words he said, but it says proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The gospel of the kingdom. Gospel simply means good news. The good news of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's like, what is this ethereal kingdom? It's basilia. It simply means the realm in which a sovereign king rules. The realm in which a sovereign king rules. Rules. I want to finish this whole series by asking us one simple question. Is the sovereign king ruling and reigning in my heart? Is the sovereign king ruling and reigning in your heart? With all of this pulling and pushing and aggression and confusion in this world and all of these pitfalls and and, and as we're walking and journeying through this life, through Jesus, all of these traps and holes, and if we're not careful, we, we don't want to avoid this ditch and end up, we fall into this ditch. And based perhaps on our personality, some of us can be very analytical and so very easy to fall into legalism and religion. Some of us are very compassionate, so it's so easy to fall into to liberalism. Some of us are just so sick of this world, so it's so easy to just like remove ourselves. Some of us are very passionate for the things of God, so it's so easy to become a fanatic about the things of God. All this pushing and pulling, let's come back to Jesus. Let's come back to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the good news, and it is good news. It's a great and glorious day of the Lord. And say, Jesus, do you reign in my heart? Am I a living representation of the kingdom of heaven? Let's just stand up, please. And to finish this, I'm not going to encourage, or you can if you want, because I do it all the time, come forward and you can just make a fresh rededication of, of your life to Jesus. We're just going to finish by singing that awesome song at the end and, and make that our anthem and our declaration of surrender to Jesus. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. You can do that as we sing. It's just in your heart saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Um, if, if that is you this morning and if you do that, please don't leave without telling someone about that. There's, there's healing in the name of Jesus where the Holy Spirit is. He brings freedom. So in the next few minutes, if you're believing for, for healing, you need a breakthrough, just say, Jesus, come, I need breakthrough in that area. But let's finish this whole last three weeks. It's been a, a, a roller coaster um, of, of emotion and of things and jokes and perhaps hopefully no one being offended, but let's just bring it all back to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I follow you. I love you with all of my heart. I want to live and walk and breathe right in the center of your will for my life. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.